we're glad to see you once again, and uh, good to see each one of you here today. Bobo, it's good to see you. He got moved last week. Glad you're able to be here with us today. It's a blessing to be together in God's house and be able to worship Him together. We're going to take just a minute now and let our boys and girls go out with the Tanners to their uh, junior church time. And here they go. Wednesday night I was standing there and there were just kids everywhere. I don't know if they're just multiplying on their own or what happens, but I'm thankful for all the boys and girls in our church and excited to see how God continues to grow them. It was such a blessing to hear from the youth group last Sunday and Wednesday night before that from our children and our children's choir as part of our junior camp. And just wonderful to see God continue to grow in our children's ministry and thankful for all of our families who are working hard to raise their children. I know it is hard work. We're in the middle of it too. And uh, keep up the good work. Continue to train them up in the way that they should go and to follow the Lord. So I pray for you moms and pray for you dads and for some of you grandparents too. I know you step in there and help from time to time. So thank you for your help as well. And I'm thankful for each one of you that's working hard to follow the Lord because some people like to say, well, the, the children, that's the, that's the next generation. That's the church of the future. Well, it's also the church of today. And uh, they are part of our church right now and serving the Lord and praising the Lord together with us. And it's a blessing even when you get to pray with those children, to hear them talk directly to God. Jesus said it. Suffer the little children to come unto me and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. So uh, even though while they may not be up preaching the message or teaching all the Sunday school classes, I'm so thankful for our boys and girls and their growth in following the Lord. Let's take our Bibles, turn to the book of Revelation this morning, the very last book in your Bible. We're going to be in the very last chapter of the very last book of your Bible this morning. We just finished a few weeks ago a series through the book of Colossians, and our theme this year is, you see on the walls around us, walk worthy and being faithful to the Lord, growing in our knowledge of Him, being strengthened with His might as we continue to walk and learn more about God, growing in the knowledge of God and these things. And as we finish that series, we're still on the theme of walking worthy and faithfully in following the Lord in all that we do all that we say and all that we are as people. And I thought it would be helpful for us to just take a couple of weeks, last week and this week, and refocus on what God is preparing for us as His children. And we know He's preparing a place for us called heaven. Jesus said in John chapter 14, Behold, I go away from you, but I go to prepare a place for you, that where, when I come again, there ye may be with me also." I'm so thankful that He's preparing a place for us in His Father's house. As He says there, there are many mansions. And here in Revelation 22, we see this idea as Jesus is repeated, as He's quoted three different times in this chapter. And each time He's quoted in verse 7, verses 12 and 13, and then again in verse 20 to say that He's coming quickly. He says in verse 7, Behold, I come quickly. He says in verse, number in verse number 12, And behold, I come quickly. In verse 20, he says, Surely I come quickly. Last week as we looked at chapter 21, we looked at the importance of our focus, that we need to be looking up. 
focused on the Lord and on what He's doing and being ready for His return. But here in chapter 22, as he emphasizes the, how quickly He's coming, how soon it will take place, I want us to take a little bit and focus on this idea that we need to be ready to go. Let's get ready to go. Maybe this morning that phrase was said in your house. Hurry up. Let's get ready to go. We're going to church. Come on. Get out of bed. Get your clothes on. I know in our house that doesn't just happen on Sunday morning getting ready to go. That starts earlier in the week as laundry gets done. And then on Saturdays as clothes get laid out and things get ironed sometimes if we're really on top of it. And if you don't get it done Saturday night, then Sunday morning trying to get seven people out the door, it is a flurry of activity, trying to iron all those clothes and get things ready and out the door. And boys' collars look like this, and you know, you got to straighten them out, and their hair is not combed, and little girls need their hair fixed, and all of those things. And I'm pretty good on all of it, except for the fixing little girls' hair part. So you'll always know when Shandy's out of town, because Chris will have a ponytail, and that's about all that I am capable of pulling off. I haven't tried that one where you've seen the video with the guy with the vacuum cleaner and all of that. Don't do that. But there's a lot of work that goes into preparing to go anywhere at our house. And there's a certain intensity about getting ready to go the closer that it comes to the moment that we're going to go. Like if we're getting ready to go on a trip, some of our kids two weeks ahead are saying, Mom, I'm ready to pack my bag right now. My wife's saying, no, let's wait till a little closer to go. i got to do some laundry. i got to take care of some things. We'll get ready to go, but it's not time to get ready to go yet. But then as the day approaches and the work gets more intense, as the bags get packed and things get prepared and, and plans are finalized until it's finally time to get up and to go. I think in the spiritual life and our walk with God, it is easy to grow complacent because we forget about the reality that Jesus is coming soon. And here in the last chapter of the Bible, he reminds us over and over again about how soon he is coming and how important it is that we are ready to go when he comes. This entire book of Revelation was written by God to help us to focus on what is to come. Heaven or Revelation reveals to us about heaven and hell, angels and demons and the future. It's revealed to us the great tribulation, Armageddon and the Antichrist. But the main point of Revelation is not the Antichrist. It is Jesus Christ. While you say, well, there's a lot about the Antichrist here. But we see it from beginning to end, just as Jesus is the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. So the book of Revelation begins and ends with Jesus. In chapter 1, we see Jesus as the faithful witness and firstborn from the dead. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the one who is and was and is to come. He's the Almighty. In chapter 1, there's eight references to Jesus. Now, some people will say, now, the book of Revelation, it's, it's very hard to understand. But God has given us some help in understanding this book. And in fact, He offers a blessing to those who understand it and who read it and study it. But He's also given us a key to understanding this book. Because in chapter 1 of Revelation, we have given to us in verse 19 an outline of the whole book. 
As far as I know, it's the only book in the Bible that has an outline of itself in the first chapter of the book. Let me read it to you in Revelation 1.19. It says, Write the things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. Three things right here talked about in the book of Revelation. The things which thou hast seen, that's the things that he sees taking place or the things that have taken place in the past. The things which are, he said, I want you to write about what's going on right now. What do you see today? And the things which shall be hereafter. So John in chapter 1 writes about the revealed Jesus. All that John saw on the earth. The things which are, or the things which you have seen. And then in chapters 2 and 3, he writes about the things which are. Here we have listed out for us the seven churches of Revelation, beginning with Ephesus and ending with Laodicea. So we begin with a church that has lost its first love, right? The church at Ephesus. And then it ends in chapter 3 with the church out of Laodicea, a church where Jesus is on the outside and not even able to get in. We start with an apostolic church and we end with an apostate church. Really a survey, if you will, or a look at all of church history. Churches that were in place at that time, but churches I think that we can see represented throughout all of history until today. In chapter 1, we have this revelation of the glorified Christ. In chapters 2 and 3, the church history. Chapters 4 and 5, we read about the church being taken up to heaven and a glimpse of heaven. And then in chapters 6 through 19, the great tribulation. And in chapter 20, we read about the millennial reign of Christ. And then chapters 21 and 22, where our focus has been last week and this week, we read about the new heaven and the new earth. So this book of Revelation, while there are some things that are challenging to understand, some symbolism, some descriptions of things that haven't happened yet, and so we're trying to wrap our head around it, the book of Revelation is also exceedingly practical for where we live today. So as we look together at this chapter, we're not going to take time, we don't have time to study the whole chapter together, but I want us to consider that we need to be ready to go. Look at verse 1 of Revelation 22. It says, And He showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river, there was there the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits, and yielded her fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. In the book of Genesis, we read about the tree of life. As Jesus, after He created everything, He placed the tree of life there in the Garden of Eden. And if you remember, Adam and Eve were commanded to not eat of a tree, but it wasn't the tree of life that they weren't supposed to eat from. It was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And we don't know why. The only, my best guess that I can take is that they weren't in the garden very long because they never ate of the tree of life. 
But they did sin and eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so if you remember the story, God banished them from the Garden of Eden. And He made it so they wouldn't be able to get back in there. He put an angel in front of it with a flaming sword to keep them from ever entering the Garden again. Why? Because He didn't want them to eat of the tree of life, to be confirmed in their sin. Instead, God had a better plan. Rather than give them life with their sin, He allowed them to experience physical death, but He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to be their Savior so that they could have forgiveness of sin and experience eternal life in heaven with God, free from sin and free from the curse. And so the whole rest of the story of Scripture is the story of God as He works with His people, the nation of Israel, as, he, as they sin and as they turn back to God and they sin and turn back to God. But through all of that time, God is accomplishing His plan to bring about the Savior, the Messiah, the one who had been promised from the book of Genesis till He came and He died on the cross. And then three days later, He rose again and paid the price for our sin. And then he ascended up into heaven 40 days later. And then we read the story of the church, the body of Christ, the physical representation of Christ's work on this earth through the church, through you and me as believers, as we are to carry out the Great Commission, sharing the good news that Jesus Christ died for your sins, that he buried, and that he rose again the third day, and that you too can experience what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and to have your sins forgiven. We read through all those epistles and that list of things and then we get to the book of Revelation as God tells us to what we can be looking forward to in the future and we come back really to where we began. The tree of life that was in the Garden of Eden, that same tree is now in heaven. And He says that this tree... We know that there will be healing for the nations. Why? Because there's healing in Jesus Christ. Notice, I love it in verse 3 here of Revelation 22. He says, and there shall be no more curse. It's no more. We're currently under the curse. The curse because of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. There should be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it. And His servants, that's us, that's you and me, shall serve Him. And they shall see His face and His name shall be in their foreheads. And there shall be no night there. And they need no candle, neither light of the sun. For the Lord God giveth them light. And they shall reign forever and ever. What a day that's going to be. Notice verse 6 here, because we have this description of heaven in verses 1 through 5, but in verse 6, he tells us something very important. He said unto me, these sayings are faithful and true. And the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show unto his servants the things which must shortly be done. Behold, I come quickly. It's very important here that he emphasize, in a sense, Jesus is endorsing 
what he's saying here. He's putting his stamp of approval on it and saying, these things are faithful and true. We live in a world today where moral relativism is the theme of the day. You live your truth and I'll live my truth. And they can live their truth. And as long as you're faithful to your own truth, that's the highest thing you can attain to. There's another name for that. It's called humanism. It's a worship of self. Because as long as I worship myself, then I'm doing the best thing that I can be. I'm the best that I can be. Be all you can be, right? Be your highest self. Be your best self. And how do you do that? Well, by following your own truth. Be true to yourself. Right? We hear those kind of phrases and slogans worked into all kinds of things. And it's not just a slogan for people. It's how people live. But here's the problem with that. Because if I am the highest thing, if I make my own truth, then I've now elevated myself to the same position that Satan tried to elevate himself to, to be equal with God. And there is none righteous, no, not one. Only God is holy. He is high and lifted up. And so Jesus here, He gives us His stamp of approval. We know that this idea of trying to find your own truth and follow your own way, this is what it's going to be in the last days. Paul warned Timothy about this in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, where he says, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Or how about in 2 Timothy 4, verses 3 and 4, where he says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust, they'll follow their own way, they shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. Now, I don't think that was somehow a prophecy that you were going to be wearing a mask and it was going to make your ear itch. That's not what that's talking about, even though your ear might be itching this morning if you're wearing a mask. Rather, this is talking about, I want something that will satisfy me. I'm not interested in what you might say is truth. I just want truth that makes me feel good about myself. Well, if you're here to feel good about yourself today, can I encourage you with this thought? You will only truly find happiness and peace with Jesus. The time that he was speaking of in 2 Timothy 4, of people looking for things to scratch their ears and turning from the truth, that time has come. That is true not just in our culture. Unfortunately, that same thing has crept into our churches. For many people this morning are going to a place or they're watching something online that says church, but it's not a church based on the Word of God. It's a church based on the philosophies and traditions of men. Traditions are only as good as they are rooted in the Word of God. But when tradition becomes more important than the Word of God, we're lost. People have an itch 
for novelty. They're looking for something that makes them feel good, not something to challenge them or confront them. So what are we going to do? We live in this world. Do we run and hide? Should we sit at home and I'll just email you some devotional thoughts in your inbox? How about we get ready for the return of Jesus Christ? So how do we do that? How do we get ready for the return of Christ? Again, this is a very simple message. We're just focusing on these three statements of Jesus that He's coming quickly here in chapter 22. In verse 7, He says, Behold, I come quickly. Blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of the prophecy of this book. How do we get ready to go? How do we get ready for the return of Christ? Number one, you must keep His word. He says it right here. There is a blessing for the one who would keep the sayings of the prophecy of this book. Are you keeping God's word? You say, well, how do I do that? Well, again, Revelation 1, I think, gives us some great insight into this. Revelation 1, verse 3, tells us how to keep His word. He says, Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written therein. Why? For the time is at hand. It's coming. Let's get ready to go. How do you get ready to go? By keeping His Word. You say, well, I keep God's Word. Okay, have you been reading it lately? What have you read in God's Word lately? I shared the numbers. Again, these are just statistics. You can search these for yourself as well as I did. The numbers I read were that Bible reading as a whole among so-called Christians in America is down by 20% in the last four months. So with the extra free time and, and less going on, people didn't turn to God's Word. They turned on the news. Because that's where truth comes from, just in case you didn't know. <laughs> Let me encourage you to open your Bible. I'm not saying you have to live with your head under a rock and not have a clue of what's going on in this world. But when you hear it, when you see it, take it and run it through the filter of God's Word and spit out everything that's not truth. Read His Word. See, that sounds really simple. I thought we are getting ready for the return of Christ. Well, if you don't read God's Word, you're not even thinking about God. You're not even thinking about the return of Christ, and you won't be ready for Him to come. Read His Word, Revelation 1 says. And then he says... Hear His Word. Listen, I'm as guilty as anybody else in here. I have read God's Word and not really heard it when I was reading it. Because I was just completing my daily reading for the day or my devotional. I said, oh, I better read this real quick. That was good. Yeah, I've seen that before. Oh, yeah, that's a good story. I remember David and Goliath. I can kind of skip that one. Okay, I read. See, reading is not just running your eyes across the page. It's also listening to God's Word. God, what are you saying to me? What does your Word say and how do I need to live because of what it says? Are we hearing God's Word? If you really hear, you realize that things in this world are actually going according to plan and that God is in control. Listen carefully. Because if you're paying attention to God's Word, the thing you should be listening for right now is the trumpet. Because according to my Bible, that's the next thing in the order of events to take place in God's timeline. 
He's coming back. But some people are so caught up. Maybe you even find yourself so caught up with the things of this world and frustration and fear and difficulty of what's going on around you. You're not ready for His return. You're not ready to go because you're not reading and hearing His Word. But Revelation 1 and verse 3 also says there's a blessing to those who keep those things. We must keep His Word. God doesn't give us Bible prophecy just to entertain us. There was a time in our nation's history in years gone by where prophecy was really interesting to people. You could have prophecy conferences and people would come from all over to hear these wonderful speakers preach about Bible prophecy. And that's a good thing if we're listening to that Bible prophecy not so we can be entertained with the cool new notion that this guy has an interpretation of a passage, but rather to listen so that we can live in light of what is coming. Prophecy is not so interesting to people today because they, if, if it is, they're just watching it on YouTube or somewhere else and you, know, you see some guy, 21 exciting things that you didn't know from the book of Revelation. And everybody watch you go, and then I'll get a phone call, Pastor, did you know I watched this video? Yeah. Read His Word, hear His Word, and then keep His Word. 2 Peter 3.11 says, Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness? Christian, if this is all really true, and it is, then how should you be living right now? Say, well, I'm here in church today. Amen. What will you be doing tomorrow? Tuesday, what, what kind of conversations are coming off your lips? What kind of things are you putting in your mind? As believers... If we're going to be ready for the return of Jesus Christ, if we're going to be ready to go, we need to keep His Word. These words are faithful and true. Well, why do I keep it? Well, because it's true and because His coming is near. Jesus says, Behold, I come quickly. Well, what does that mean? Well, God's going to come quickly. Well, He hasn't come since Revelation was written 2,000 years. When He comes, it will be quick. It will be fast. It's sort of like when you push that first domino over and all the rest of them fall in quick succession. We know from Scripture that God has withheld His coming. He's delayed it until He says the time is right. And he's delayed it because he's waiting for each person that would put their trust in him to come to the knowledge of the Savior. So we must read, I'm sorry, we must keep his word. Secondly, I want you to look down at verse 12. He says, and behold, I come quickly. Here it is again. And my reward is with me to give every man according to his work. 
as His work shall be. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. If we're going to be ready to go when Jesus comes back, we must be keeping His word, but we must also be doing His work. He said He's bringing His rewards with Him to give to every man according as His work shall be. How's your work for the Lord this morning? Galatians 6, 9 says, And be not weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. I don't know about you, but especially in the last few months, there's been some times I've been tired in God's work. Have you ever felt tired being a Christian lately? I sometimes get tired in the work, but we should never be tired of the work. We're human beings, so we get tired in the work from time to time. It's good to sleep. It's good to rest. It's good to take a break from time to time. But we're not taking a break from God's work. We just got to take a physical rest. Because we get tired in the work, but we should never be tired of the work. Because it's the greatest work in all the world is to be serving the King of kings and Lord of lords. To be walking faithfully in obedience with Him. It's not easy. It's not always even fun. It is often contrary to this culture. But He's coming quickly and He's bringing His rewards with Him. Are we paying attention? Are you looking for His return? Often we pay attention to things differently depending on how real we think whatever it is is being told that might happen is going to happen. For example, I've been on a lot of planes, flown a lot of places. And most of the time when the flight attendant gets up and says, please pay attention, and I'm going to give you some instructions about how to exit the cabin in case of an emergency. What do you do? What do I do? Sit back, close my eyes, turn the page in my book, look at another you know, article in the magazine, whatever. Why are we not paying attention? Because you don't really believe that plane's going to crash. Because if you did, you wouldn't get on that plane, right? Well, maybe you would. I wouldn't get on that plane. Some of you are like, well, okay. We behave differently depending on how, uh, how convinced we are that something is going to happen, right? So as you're listening to that flight attendant, most of you are not paying much attention to it. Maybe you've heard it before. It, 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 I know what she's going to say. She's going to tell me how to buckle my seatbelt. I learned how to do that when I was three years old. Why are you telling me this again? I know my seat is a flotation device, okay? I just imagine, I mean, plane wrecks are not beautiful things to think about, but you imagine a bunch of people floating around on their seats, you know, out in the water. That'd be kind of an interesting sight. I hope that never happens to me. Or you can imagine them with their little life jackets that half of them weren't paying attention so they won't know how to inflate it, you know, as they blow in. Or can you imagine them out there blowing their little whistles, you know, that are attached to it, trying to get somebody's attention? Hopefully there's somebody paying attention to the radar if my plane goes down because all those things seem a little futile, don't they? But you sit on the plane, you don't pay much attention because you're not really convinced that what they're talking about will ever come to pass. But how often do we as Christians listen to God's word the same way? 
How often do we hear the promise of His coming sort of like listening to the flight attendant? Yeah, yeah, that's nice. Get that over with so now we can go and do what we really came here to do. Jesus is coming back. We need to be ready to go. He's going to come back soon. And when He comes, He's going to bring His rewards with Him. Who are these rewards for? He says, it's to every man according as his work shall be. Verse 11 gives us a little insight into the different decisions and choices about the types of work that people are involved in. He says in verse 11, He that is unjust, let him be unjust still. And he which is filthy, let him be filthy still. And he that is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he that is holy, let him be holy Still, Now, this is not saying that you're confirmed in your choice that once you choose to do wrong, you can't ever do right. You know, well, they're filthy, stay filthy. No, it's a warning to say He's coming, He's bringing His reward. So if you're living a filthy life, stay there and see what happens. If you live a wicked life, stay there and see what happens because He's bringing His rewards with Him and He will reward based on your work and what you've done. But the encouragement is to live a holy life. He also talks about his, the work and being obedient to God's Word in the end of the chapter, verses 18 and 19. Here we see a specific warning to anyone who would tamper with the Word of God. He says, For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book. We already talked about the importance of hearing God's word, but, but now we must do His work. Notice he says, If any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And verse 19 says, And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. Now, often as you hear this talked about, we think about somebody who would take a portion of Scripture and sort of rip it out and say, Well, I, I believe this part of the Bible, but I don't believe that part of the Bible. Or we think of other people who would say, well, I've written another book that goes in addition to the, to the Bible. And so it's the Bible plus this, the Book of Mormon. Or it's the Bible plus some other method of living. The Bible's good, but it's not all of God's truth. There's been more truth that God has revealed. But I would challenge you with this thought this morning even though you may not be the person who's cutting out a chapter of your Bible or a verse in your Bible, you may not be somebody who's saying, well, I'm going to add another prophecy to God's Word. But maybe you're somebody this morning who disobeys God's Word, disregards God's Word, or distorts God's Word. See, these are ways that we can add to or take away from God's Word as well. To be a Christian who says, I believe the Bible, I'm walking in obedience, I'm following God, but I don't really want to deal with this area of my life. I know the Bible says I shouldn't do it, but I'm going to do it anyway. Are we not in effect, maybe not with our lips, but at least through our life, taking away from God's Word? 
This is the way. Walk ye in it. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. It's all important. How about distorting God's Word? You know, this is what the devil did with Jesus. As he took Jesus up and he quoted Scripture to Jesus to try to get Jesus to sin. So you can use God's Word to get people to sin if you use it incorrectly. If you try to make up your truth or twist the truth, distort it to make it say something that it doesn't really say. So well, how do we know what it says? Study to show thyself approved unto God. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. It takes work to study and to understand it and to live it truthfully according to God's Word and not just my own version of it. That's one of the importances of being in church together and studying God's Word together. Yes, you can study on your own and you better be studying on your own. Amen. But studying together with others is a wonderful way to make sure you're not headed off in the wrong direction. Because you can ask a question. What do you think? This is what God's showing me from His Word. This is what I'm learning. This is what I see. But everyone else is thinking something different. How do I know if I'm right? Well, we learn good methods of interpretation and study of God's Word. In fact, this fall we're spending about eight weeks doing a hermeneutics class, which is methods of Bible study. Why? Because we need to know how to study God's Word. If you want to be in the class, let me know. But Jesus is coming quickly and He's going to bring His rewards based on how we have lived. He says it finally here in Revelation 22 verse 20. Surely I come quickly. These are the last recorded words of Jesus in the Bible. Yes, we have his last words as he hung on the cross, but then we have his last words that he spoke to his disciples before he ascended up into heaven. And here we have his last words recorded in Scripture for us. He's coming quickly. If you knew that these were going to be your last words, if the next words you spoke were going to be your last words, what would you say? To me, it's very instructive that the last words of Jesus were, Surely I come quickly. There's a promise, and there should be some action on our part because of what He's promised to do. He's coming, and He's coming quickly. As you read through history, you can often find the last words of famous people. Karl Marx March 14th, 1883, as he lay on his deathbed, his housekeeper came into him and said, Tell me your last words and I will write them down. He said, Go on, get out. Last words are for fools who haven't said enough. Pretty empty. Go from Karl Marx to the comedian Groucho Marx. He said, Die. My dear, well, that's the last thing I will do. Here's a man who made people laugh for a living, but at the end of his life, he was empty. 
So that's the last thing I will do. By the grace of God, death is not the last thing I will do. And if you're saved this morning, it's not the last thing you will do either. In fact, it's just the beginning of all eternity. If you're saved, you will do far more after you die than you did before you died. Even Nostradamus, the guy who always was trying to predict the future and didn't do it very well, he did get it right one time. And that was in his death. He said, tomorrow I will no longer be here on this earth. And that was true. The last words, though, of believers are very different from the last words of unbelievers. I'm so thankful for that because we have a hope that an unbeliever doesn't have. Stephen, in the Bible, in the book of Acts, as he was being put to death because he preached the Word of God, he said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Then just a few verses later, he said, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. Jesus Christ said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Or how about the, be- the, the preacher, John Wesley, who said, The best of all is this, that God is with us. Or D.L. Moody, the evangelist, who said, I see earth receiving, receding and heaven opening. God is calling me. What great hope he had. Or F.B. Meyer, the pastor and commentator, who said, Read me something from the Bible, something brave and triumphant. Great words. Jesus in Revelation 22 said, Surely I come quickly. And as John heard these words from Jesus, all he could say was, Amen, so be it. He said, Amen, and he repeated back, Even so, Lord Jesus, even so, come, Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. So the final words here in the Bible, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all, Amen. I want to ask you this question because this is the final point this morning. Is the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ with you? Well, I hope so. I'd like it to be. This morning you can know so. Notice back in verse 17, because there's a great invitation. If you're going to be ready when Jesus comes back, you must receive His invitation. If you're following along in your Bible, I think maybe we can put it on the screen here. Let's read this invitation together out loud. Would you do that with me? Here it goes. And the Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let him that heareth say, Come. And let him that is athirst, Come. And whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. What an invitation. Jesus told a story back when he was walking on this earth of a rich man who prepared a great feast. And he sent out lots of invitations for people to come. 
He invited people from all over to come to this great feast. And then he sent his servant out a few days later to get everybody and bring them to the feast. But as the servant went out, following up on those invitations, he got to one man who said, Well, I've married a wife. I can't come. Another man who said, Well, I bought some livestock and I need to go see my animals that I bought. Another guy, well, I bought a piece of land and I need to go check on it. They all had reasons why they couldn't come. All very important reasons, but all reasons rooted in this life. And so when the servant came back and he told the master, he said, none of them will come. They, they all have other things going on. The master sends him out and he says, go out into the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in. So the servant went back out and he went and he found anybody that would come. He said, come, and he went to the places on the highways and the hedges, the places where the poor people were, the places where the people who didn't have hope, who, who didn't have much of this world's goods. He went to those people, and he invited them to come. It was not that he didn't want the wealthy to come, but it was that he invited everybody. And those people came one by one, and he clothed them in white, and they sat at the rich man's table and enjoyed the feast together. There was a great invitation, come. And that same invitation Christ has offered to all, to whosoever will. And He's offered it to you this morning. Will you come? Will you come? Will you take of the water of life freely? If you're thirsty this morning, will you come? There's a lot in this world that leaves us pretty thirsty, isn't there? Consumer confidence is at a low. People are not feeling secure in their job. Faith in the government news media, all-time low. Everywhere you look, empty, 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 empty. Thirsty people everywhere. Maybe you're here this morning and you're thirsty. Come. He offers the water of life. Take of it freely. Which means you can have as much as you want. You can keep drinking of it. If you're going to be ready to go when Jesus comes, you must receive His invitation to come. So, Christian... Are you keeping His Word? Or have you gotten so buried with the day-to-day -day of this life that you've lost sight of the fact that Jesus is coming back? And you're not really living in light of it. Maybe you know that you're saved. You know that you're on your way to heaven. But you haven't been living like a Christian ought to live. You're not walking in His Word, you're not obeying what the Bible says, you're not even sharing the good news, the invitation with anybody else because your life has just got you so bent over. I would invite you today, once again, come. Taste again of the water of life. Drink deeply and drink freely. If you're here this morning and you say, I don't think I've ever 
tasted the water of life. Jesus is offering it to you this morning. But you have to come. Whosoever, that's you, that's me, that's anybody who will come. He says, here's the water of life. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But will you come? Or will you stay where you're at and go back to the place you came from? And back to the things that leave you thirsty and empty and dry. This morning could be your time to come. As we bow our heads and close our eyes, I hope that you will answer his invitation. When Noah finished building the ark, God said, Come into the ark. When Moses was standing there trying to follow God when the people of Israel were going off into sin, Moses said, Who is on the Lord's side? Come stand by me. In Isaiah 55, he says, Ho, everyone that thirsts, let him come and drink. Jesus said, Come unto me, all ye that are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Father, help us this morning. We thank you for your word. And this time to focus again on its truth. I'm so thankful for all your work that you've done throughout all of history. And we're looking forward to your soon return. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for our sins. Lord, if there's somebody here this morning that hasn't trusted you, I pray that today would be the day they would come and accept the forgiveness of sin and receive eternal life through Christ. Lord, I pray for the believer here this morning that's weighed down with the cares of this life. All of us go through that at various times. May we cast our burdens upon you this morning and find the hope and the peace that can only be found in you. In Jesus' name I pray.